This is Focus on God's Word with Pastor Danny Milenkov. I'd like to welcome you all to Focus on God's Word. And it's great to see you all here again uh, as we plunge into another message in End Time Apocalypse. Uh, today's message of entitled God's Final Call. And for those who are here, a warm welcome to you, as well as for those who are watching around the world, wherever you may be, glad that you can join us as we open God's Word together. And in particular, we are going to the book of Revelation, the apocalypse, as it is also known, that reveals Jesus Christ in all his beauty, in all his fullness, and reveals the wonderful truth that Jesus Christ has, especially for those that will be living prior to his second coming. We have been looking at the, at the very heart of the book of Revelation. For those that have been here or those that have been watching uh, during the past three episodes in this six-part series, we've been going to the very heart of Revelation, to Revelation chapters 12 to 14, where God in a very special way uh, shares with those at the end of time the, the great issues that will prepare the people of God, those who choose Jesus Christ, to be ready for his soon return. So today we want to take a look at one more all-important message in that final message of God's love, the three angels' messages in Revelation chapter 14. Now, I don't know about you, but I have been to the airport a number of times. You have seen uh, this screen at the airport, I'm sure. Final call, final boarding. Anyone here missed the plane? Okay, you have missed the plane, Bill. I have almost missed the plane on several occasions, but not quite. But um, when you're at the airport, you see people scampering and running to the gate to get to the plane. And the plane generally doesn't wait, does it? Unless you're very important, it doesn't wait. Those doors shut. And if you miss out on on the plane for whatever reason, it's just too bad, so sad. You have to wait for the next plane. However, in Revelation, we have God's final call and there isn't another plane coming. There is only one opportunity to get on board, to get on board and make it to the new Jerusalem with Jesus Christ, our Lord. So today we want to take a look at Revelation's final call, Revelation's last appeal is another way of looking at this all-important subject. And before we begin and before we open up God's Word, what do we need to do? We need to pray. We need to ask God to bless our time together in His Word. So let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, once again, it's a privilege for us to open up Your Word and especially to take a look at uh, these all-important three angels' messages that You have given to the world in order to prepare a people who are ready for your coming. So, Father, as we open your word, open our hearts and our minds that we may be willing and able to understand the message that you have for us. For this is our earnest prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Once again, we are going to the book of Revelation. Uh, We're going to the very heart of Revelation. We're going to the three angels' messages of Revelation. And I thank God that he has established, uh, he has divinely established three ABN or three angels broadcasting network that is broadcasting God's final message of love to the world around the world. And today, in these three angels' messages, we want to go to the second angels' message. 
Before we take a look at the second angel's message, you'll notice, you'll notice that we have looked at the first angel's message that deals with worshipping the Creator, following God's truth. We've also unpacked the third angel's message, which is all about choosing who we will worship, whether it's the Creator, Jesus Christ, or the Created One, ultimately Satan, the commandments of God and the traditions of man. But today in particular, we're going to take a look at the second angel's message where God exposes Satan's deception. And I've shared with you that God divinely inspired me, impressed me some time ago. Someone asked me, where did you come up with a, with a summary of the three angels' messages in six words? And I shared that God gave that to me. So I take no credit for that. But here are the three angels' messages summed up in six words. Easy to remember. We have the first angels' message where God shares His truth. The second angel's message where God exposes Satan's lies. And in the third angel's message, God says it's what? Your choice. choice, Either to accept my truth or to accept Satan's lies. Your choice. Today we want to take a look at the second angel's message where God in a very special way exposes Satan's lies. Notice these words that we find in Revelation chapter 14 and verse 8. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of a fornication. This is the second angel's message. And God here clearly identifies a system that he refers to as Babylon. As what? As Babylon, and we'll discover what Babylon means and what what Babylon is a symbol of. You remember there are two cities in the book of Revelation. We looked at that on a previous occasion. There's the New Jerusalem that represents the city of God that the people of God will inherit. And then we have Babylon that represents the city of Satan. And sadly, those that have chosen to align themselves with him and the city that they will inherit. And so we want to take a look at Babylon. In Revelation chapter 18 and verse 2, we have a repetition of this second angel's message from Revelation 14 verse 8. Notice these words. And he cried mightily with a loud voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen is what? Is fallen and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations, how many of the nations? All All the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of a fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. So notice here in this message, we are told very clearly that the kings of the earth, that is the, the political leaders have been taken in by Babylon, not just the political leaders, but the merchants. Uh, the, the economy is saturated with the principles of Babylon. So both the political and the economic system of the world is, is fallen because it has taken on board the principles of Babylon. Let's continue reading. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, what? My people. So God has his people in Babylon. Notice, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues, for her sins have reached to where? To heaven. And God has remembered her iniquities or her sins. God makes it abundantly clear that Babylon is fallen, is fallen, and Babylon will ultimately be destroyed. In fact, Revelation chapter 19 describes the second coming of Jesus after the destruction and the the fall of Babylon, which we want to take a look at today. 
Now, as we continue uh, to take a look at this all-important subject of Babylon, we discover that God says, come out of her, my people. Now, when I think of those words that come from heaven, I can't help but think of John chapter 10 and verse 27, where Jesus himself said, my sheep hear what? My voice and I know them and they do what? They follow me. So there is a voice that comes from heaven, John records. And that voice is crying out in a mighty loud voice. The words there are megaphone in the original Greek. So it's a megaphone voice that God is using to to share a message with his people that are currently in Babylon. And he says, come out of her, my people. Jesus says, my sheep, hear my voice. And they know me and they follow me. Could it be, could it be that that voice that comes directly from heaven, we're not told that that voice comes from an angel. Could it be that that voice is none other than the voice of Jesus Christ? Who else, let me ask you, who else is able to say my people more so than Jesus Christ himself? Who is the one, who is the one that purchased us with his blood? It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Could it be that he is the one crying out with a loud voice from heaven saying, come out of Babylon, my people, my people. So let's ask the question, who or what represents Babylon? Notice what we discover in Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 4. Who is at the very heart of Babylon, this fallen system? Take up this proverb against the king of Babylon and say, this is God speaking now to Isaiah, how the oppressor has ceased, the golden city ceased. The king of Babylon. Now, now who is God speaking of when he speaks of the king of Babylon here in Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 4? As we continue reading in Isaiah, notice what we discover in verse 12. Who is this king of Babylon in an ultimate sense? Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12, we read these words. This is God speaking. How you are fallen from heaven, O who? O Lucifer, son of the morning, how you are cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations. So who is the ultimate king of Babylon? It's Lucifer who became the devil and Satan, the Bible says. And so here we have the ultimate king of Babylon, and that is none other than Satan himself. However, as we will discover, Satan has used and is using systems, human systems, in order to receive worship. In order to receive what? Worship, for we have discovered over and over again that the central issue in the book of Revelation is worship. In fact, the central issue in the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation is worship. The central issue at the end of time will center around worship, who you will worship, whether it will be Jesus Christ, our creator and savior, or whether it will be the enemy of our souls. And that is the devil and Satan worship. So at the end of time, we'll discover that that the enemy uses this system Babylon and we'll discover from the Bible what this system Babylon is at the end of time in order to deceive the world into worshipping him. Let me share this with you. Babylon 
represents, uh, Bab- sorry, Babylon represents rebellion against God, persecution against God's people, and a counterfeit system of worship that Satan has established in order to usurp worship that belongs to God alone. That is Babylon in a nutshell. And Satan has always worked through a a front man. He has always worked through a system or a power in order to deceive, right? From the very beginning of time, Satan used the serpent in order to deceive Eve. Isn't that right? So he has always used a front man. He never comes out in the open. In fact, the Bible says, Paul writes that Satan can appear as an angel of what? As an angel of light in order to deceive. And that's how deception works. A con man or a con woman doesn't come out in the open, do they? They look sleek. They look lovely. They look very fine on the outside. But on the inside, they are sinister and they are deceptive to the very core. Isn't that right? That's exactly how deception works. Now, let's just take a brief look at how Satan has used this system of Babylon, this system of confusion, rebellion and and ultimate persecution against God and his people during during the past, um, during the ages from the very beginning of time. Let me just put up for you a number of points. Babylon from Genesis to Revelation. At the very beginning, we've got the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel, uh, that's where the word Babylon comes from, from the Tower of Babel immediately after the flood. And that's where God confused the languages. That's why we have so many languages today in the world. It all comes from the Tower of Babel. And in fact, the word Babel or babbling comes from Babel and Babylon. When you're babbling, you don't know what you're saying. Isn't that right? When a baby is babbling, no one knows what the baby is saying except for the mother. Isn't that right? That's absolutely right. And so Babel represents confusion. And then we have Nebuchadnezzar and the ancient city of Babylon. And you remember Nebuchadnezzar. He is the one who was the brilliant architect behind the city of Babylon. And he is the one in Daniel chapter 4 who says, Is not this great Babylon that I have built? by my mighty hand, for my splendor. And so Babylon, at the very heart of Babylon, is pride, is arrogance. It's, it's lifting oneself up. That is Babylon. We have pagan Rome as Babylon. We have Peter. In, in the book of 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 13, there Peter, he describes the saints in Rome as living in Babylon. So pagan Rome was a symbol of Babylon and pagan Rome persecuted the people of God. Isn't that right? Pagan Rome persecuted the people of God. So once again, these themes of persecution, these themes of deception, these themes of arrogance, they all come through and they are all describing this fallen system of Babylon who has as its ultimate king who? Satan. Satan is the ultimate king of Babylon that works through these human systems. And so we come to Babylon in the end time. Babylon in the end time. Now, do we find a clear description of Babylon at the end of time in the book of Revelation? Indeed, we do. We have this woman that is adorned with gold and pearls. She has a cup in her hand that we discover in Revelation chapter 17, a golden cup 
filled with abominations that she shares with the nations. She's dressed in, in purple and scarlet and she's riding this scarlet beast that has seven heads and ten horns. We've come across this kind of beast before, haven't we? In, in, in Revelation chapter 12 and Revelation chapter 13 and Revelation chapter 17. And I'd encourage you to go home or those who are watching, wherever you may be watching, open up your Bible to the three descriptions of this seven headed beast with 10 horns in Revelation 12, Revelation 13, and Revelation 17. And you'll discover that there are minor differences between the three. Minor differences between the three. I won't tell you what they are. I want you to go home and find that out for yourself. But what does that tell me? That tells me that this power is essentially the same, but works in slightly different ways at different periods of Earth's history. Very, very interesting. Now, as we take a look at this woman that is riding this scarlet beast, we have this description in Revelation chapter 17, verses 1 and onwards. John writes, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me. That is the seven bowls filled with uh, the seven last plagues, God's wrath, saying to me, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. Verse 5. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the what? Babylon the great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And verse 6, I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marveled with great amazement. So here is John and, and, and he sees this vision of this woman that is riding this scarlet colored beast. And the Bible says he wonders with great amazement. He understands what is taking place to a degree at least because he understands the symbols that God is employing here because those symbols are found in the Old Testament. The Old Testament that John is very familiar with and so he's picking up a picture of what is taking place and it's not a very pretty, and it's not a very pretty picture indeed. He discovers that this woman that represents the church has become corrupt, extremely corrupt, that now she is described as a harlot. But I don't want to get ahead of myself. So we want to unpack what these symbols all are. But before we do that, let's ask another question. As we seek to understand who or what Babylon constitutes at the end of time. So let's ask the question, who is the scarlet harlot and the scarlet beast? Answer, in Revelation chapter 17, verse 18, we have the answer. And the woman whom you saw is that what? Great. That great city, speaking of Babylon, which reigns over the kings of the earth. Notice the woman is riding the beast. What does that tell us? That tells us that the woman is in control. The woman is in control. So we'll discover that this woman represents a church and this 
church. This religious system is in charge of the beast and the beast represents the kingdoms of this world. Seven heads and ten horns, ten being uh, a complete number, uh, a number that represents the entire globe, all the kings and the kingdoms of this, of this world. And so this religious power is in control of the political systems of this world. Now, the truth is, at the end of time, Satan will seek to receive worship from all the inhabitants of the world through his end time system of Babylon, that great harlot that receives her influence and power from the beast or from the nations of this world. Now, who does the scarlet harlot represent? The scarlet harlot represents none other than the Roman church state. The Roman church state is a symbol of this scarlet harlot in Revelation chapter 17. Now, we have already looked at this in the past. We've discovered that the Antichrist of Bible prophecy um, is none other than the Roman church state. This definition or, or, or this uh, truth concerning this scarlet harlot is not new to Christians today or Christian scholars today. This is something that was believed by the reformers for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. The reformers like, like Martin Luther and John Huss and Wycliffe and, and Zwingli, they all read Revelation chapter 17 and they all came to the conclusion based on the symbolism, based on the evidence, Revelation 17 pointed to none other than the apostate Christian church of the Dark Ages or the Roman church state as, as she is now known or the Roman papacy. So let's take a look if the description here in Revelation chapter 17 does indeed fit the Roman papacy as the final fulfillment of Babylon that the enemy will use at the end of time in order to receive worship from the entire world. That's, that's what we need to know. And by the way, before we continue... There may be some that are watching this for the very first time and you haven't had a chance to catch up on the, on the previous three episodes where we have set a foundation for the subject that we're looking at today. I want to make it crystal clear that when God, when God points the finger or when God pinpoints uh, a system, He is indeed doing that a system. God is not here speaking against uh, Roman Catholic Christians around the world, that number over one billion around the world. God here is not against speaking against people, but God is against systems, against powers that take away from the prerogatives that belong to Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Amen. Yeah. And I too, I am not against people. I love all people, Christians, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, atheists, New Ages, agnostics, you name them, I love them all. Because Jesus said we ought to love everyone. Isn't that right? Yeah. And Jesus loved and loves every single person on the planet, regardless of whether they accept him as Lord and Savior or not. That does not change the love that Jesus has for every single person on the planet. In the same way, I love every single person on the planet. I have respect for every single person, no matter their, their belief system uh, or, or whether they have a belief system. 
I love every single person and respect every single person. But one thing above and beyond everything else I love, and that is God's truth. Amen. I love God's truth. And God's truth for me is paramount. God's truth for me trumps everything else in this world because God's truth is most important, is most important. So God here exposes Satan's lies in the second angel's message in order that you and I may have an opportunity to choose to follow what? God's truth. That is why God goes to such great lengths to expose Babylon in the end of time so that you and I will have the opportunity of serving and being faithful to Jesus Christ and worshiping him according to his word in spirit and in truth. So is that clear? Yes or no? I really hope it is because I don't want anyone thinking, oh, this uh, this pastor Danny is giving the the Roman Catholics a a good bashing. And that's not what it's all about. I would never do that, never have done that and do not believe that is in the spirit of Christ. But I do believe that it's important to point out the truth in order that the deception may be exposed. And those who want to follow the truth can do that. So let's take a look at end time Babylon. Firstly. It's an unfaithful church, an unfaithful church. Notice what we read in Revelation chapter 17, verse 1. And I just want to take a look at that last sentence where John is told, Come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters. Now, in Scripture, we have in Revelation, we have two women. We have the pure woman that represents the pure church of Christ. And she is referred to as a virgin. She is found in Revelation chapter 12. And we're going to deal with her um, in the next presentation. And then we have this false woman or this counterfeit church uh, that represents the false church. And she is the one described here in Revelation chapter 17. Now, a woman is a symbol of the church in Bible, in Bible prophecy. And that, and the woman as a symbol appears over and over again in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Let me just give you one scripture. Here we find in Jeremiah chapter 6 and verse 2, where God says, I have likened the daughter of Zion, there he's speaking of his people, Israel, to a lovely and delicate what? Woman. So in the Bible, a woman represents what? The church. If she is a virgin, she represents the pure church of God that is married to Jesus Christ. If she is a harlot, well, then she's not married to Jesus Christ. She seeks to be married with the nations of this world. And that is that fornication. And I'm getting ahead of myself and we'll get there in just a little bit. Let's take a look at point number two. Point number two, end time Babylon is described as persecuting God's faithful people. Notice what we read. I saw the woman drunk with the what? The blood of the saints and with the blood of who? The martyrs of Jesus. It's a fact. It's a sad fact of history that the apostate church, the church of Rome, persecuted millions and millions and millions of people down through the centuries. The dark ages are called dark, not only because truth was almost extinguished Bible truth. But those that loved the truth, those that were not in harmony with the teachings of the of the church of the day suffered horrible persecution. In fact, Pope John Paul II in the year 2000 for the very first time acknowledged the sins of persecution that the church had committed in the name of God and asked for forgiveness. Pope Francis um, 
several years ago, um, met with the Waldensian uh, leaders there in Italy for the very first time and apologized and sought forgiveness for the persecution the Church of Rome um, inflicted upon the Waldensian Christians. So this is a fact of history. Up to 50 million uh, people, after, after, up to 50 million Christians were sadly killed because of their faith in Jesus Christ um, and his word and his truth and their unwillingness to go along with the, with the, with the church of the state. Let's go to our um, third point. End time Babylon would blaspheme against God. We've already looked at this in our very first presentation. We discovered that, that this system is described as, if we take a look, full of the names of what? Blasphemy. It's full of the names of blasphemy. Now, according to the Bible, what is blasphemy? We've discovered that according to the Bible, blasphemy is making oneself equal to God and claiming the power and the authority to forgive sins. Does the Church of Rome claim that the Bishop of Rome or the Pope, as he is known today, is God's representative on earth, that he speaks as God on earth? Indeed. That is why he's referred to as your holiness. He's also referred to as Lord um, in the church and He's referred to as Holy Father. And so this is blasphemy for an individual, a human being to claim the prerogatives that belong to God and God alone. And that is claiming to be God on earth. That is blasphemy. Forgiveness of sin. Who alone can forgive sin? God. Jesus Christ is our is our mediator. God alone can forgive sin. No human being has the power or the authority given by God to forgive sin. To, to claim the power and the prerogatives of forgiveness is to blaspheme. The Church of Rome sadly uh, commits these two acts of blasphemy even to this very day. Point number four, end time Babylon or the Roman papacy commits fornication with the nations. Is, is, is the papacy uh, involved in a very political way with the nations of this world? Indeed it is. Notice what Revelation chapter 17 verse 2 says, with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Now, what is fornication? Fornication is an illicit union, an illicit union. And this term fornication appears not only twice, but it appears one other time in Revelation chapter 17 and verse 4, where it says she has in her hand a golden cup full of abominations in the filthiness of her fornication. So this is a big deal as far as God is concerned. He mentions this point no less than three times here in Revelation chapter 17, verses 1 to 6. Now, what is fornication? Fornication is simply this spiritual fornication. Physical fornication is an illicit relationship that ought not to take place. Spiritual fornication is when the church and the state get into bed together. That ought not to be the case. Because as far as Jesus was concerned, as far as God was concerned, there ought to be a clear separation between the church, religion, spiritual matters, and political matters, and the state and the government. Notice what we read in James chapter 4 and verse 4 on this very point. Adulterers and adulteresses. 
Here James is speaking of fornication. He's speaking of spiritual adultery. Do you not know that friendship with who? The world is what? Enmity with God. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So as far as Scripture is concerned, if you and I want to become a friend of the world, want to participate in the things of the world, we become an enemy of God. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. What did Jesus say? You cannot serve how many masters? You cannot serve two masters. Either you will serve me and be part of my kingdom and live in harmony with the principles of my kingdom, or you will serve the other master and we know who he is and be part of his kingdom and adopt the principles of this world. The Church of Rome has been very, very influential in world politics ever since 1929, as we discovered in our previous presentation, when the Church of Rome once again received its political authority that had been stripped away from it by Napoleon and then by the Italian government in 1870, when the final papal state that it had in its domain was taken away from it. And for over 50 years, the Church of Rome was only a spiritual power, only a religious power. And then in 1929, less than 100 years ago, it received political authority as it was given Vatican City. And now it's a nation in its own right. Has the Church of Rome been busy since 1929, snuggling up with the political, with the nations of this world? Absolutely, yes, is the answer. Notice this front cover from Time magazine back in 1992, 24th of February. This was, the, this was the front cover of this particular Time magazine. How Reagan and the, sorry, I'll, I'll read the main, uh, the main title is Holy Alliance. How Reagan and the Pope conspired to assist Poland's solidarity movement and hasten the demise of communism. Can you believe it? The United States president and Pope John Paul II came together. They conspired, according to this front page headline in Time magazine, in order to bring down communism. Now, was that a big deal? Yes or no? Indeed, it was, especially those of you who lived in those communist countries. You will know what a big deal that was. And so here we have these two end time powers that Revelation 13 describes. And we looked at that in a previous presentation coming together, conspiring and bringing down communism. The Bible says that the Church of Rome would work together with the political nations of this world. Let me take you to this front page, this time of the Daily Telegraph, our own paper here in Australia, Friday, 8th of April, 2005. Uh, When the the Pope passed away, when Pope John Paul II passed away, the United States sent five delegates to the funeral. That's all they were given. They were given just five delegates. Um, It was a packed out funeral with uh, kings and queens and prime ministers and presidents and um, celebrities from all around the world. The largest funeral in the history of the world. And notice who the United States uh, chose to send. Before I, before I go through those names, notice the, the title, Power and the Passion of a Moment in History. It was a moment in history on the front page of the Daily Telegraph. We have George Bush Jr. We have his wife, Laura. They were presidents at the time. Then we have George Bush Sr. We have 
former President Bill Clinton and Secretary of State Condoleezza Rice. When the United States was given five individuals to send to the pontiff's funeral, they chose three presidents, one first lady and one secretary of state. Before this stage, no president of the United States had been to the funeral of a pope. And here we have three and they are all kneeling. What did I say? They are doing what? They are all kneeling before the pope for five minutes. That tells you who is in charge at the end of time. A very clear picture. Talk about a picture sharing a thousand words. Maybe that's about 10,000 words or a million. Let's go to the next slide. When Pope Francis turned up to the United States of America um, back, back in 2015, um, he was greeted by, by the president, by the then president, President Obama and his wife and his daughters and the vice president. He was greeted on the tarmac. Uh, the president rarely does this, goes to the tarmac to greet um, a political leader that comes. But this time, the president did that. Notice what also we have there in that picture where, where we've got President Obama and Pope Francis side by side. And for the first time in history, we have Pope Francis addressing both houses of Congress. The Bible is very clear. When you read Revelation chapter 13, it says the United States will give its power and authority to the Church of Rome in order to fulfill the objective and the aims of the Church of Rome to dominate and to rule the entire world at the end of time. We are now seeing prophecy being fulfilled before our very eyes, unlike any other generation. Notice, the United Nations was something that Pope Francis addressed also while he was there on this six-day visit in the United States of America. And I watched the footage. The footage was incredible. As Pope Francis was making his way into the United Nations and this particular United Nations Assembly in September was the 70th anniversary and it was the largest gathering of world political leaders in the history of the United Nations. The largest gathering ever. And as Pope Francis made his way down the aisle, you can go on YouTube and you can watch it. There was enormous celebration. There was clapping. There was, there was fanfare like you wouldn't believe. It was almost as if the King of Kings himself was walking through the United Nations, Jesus Christ. It was phenomenal. I've never seen anything quite like it. He had the opening address at this very significant United Nations Assembly um, back in 2015, which I don't have time to get into um, right now. But this is telling you and I that what the Bible says is absolutely true, that this political religious system will be mixing and mingling with the, with the nations of this world in order, to, in, order to, in order to achieve its aims and objectives. Recently, we had Pope Francis meeting with, um, with, the, with the President of the United States, President Trump. You may or may not know this, but President Trump now holds the record for visiting the, the Pope in the shortest amount of time since ascending to the presidency of the United States. No other president has gone to visit the Pope sooner than President Trump. And notice what he tweeted after his visit. You know that President Trump tweets? You're aware of that? 
<laughs> notice, what, notice what President Trump tweeted um, after his visit with Pope Francis. It was an honor of a lifetime to meet His Holiness Pope Francis. I leave the Vatican more determined than ever to pursue up peace in our world. And that is indeed how Pope Francis is viewed around the world. This is the way that he has reshaped and remodeled the Church of Rome as the institution in the world at the end of time when this world is suffering unprecedented turmoil and trouble and anxiety. Here we have a man on the stage of history who is now seeking to unite the nations in peace, who is seeking to unite the Christian world, who is seeking to unite the religious world. I could spend the next hour or two sharing with you incredible evidence just in the past five years of how busy Pope Francis has been in being all things to all people in order to create lasting peace and safety and security for all people on the planet. Is there anything wrong with pursuing peace? No, No, there isn't. And there would be nothing wrong at all with that. We would all enjoy that and live happily ever after if Revelation 13 was not there. But because of Revelation 13, we know that this will all come to an end, sadly. And one day there will not be peace for those who choose not to be part of this worldwide political, religious, economic system that will be established. In fact, Revelation predicts that just before the coming of Jesus, all the world's political powers will give their power and authority to the Church of Rome and follow her in the establishment of a new world order. However, the Lamb will have the final word and God's people will be delivered and be what? Victorious. And ultimately, the Bible tells us in Revelation, Babylon will be ultimately destroyed and be what? No more. Now, let me give you some evidence for that very, very, very poignant statement. Notice these words from Revelation chapter 17, verses 12 to 14. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet. This is speaking of the new world order that will be established just before Jesus comes. But they receive authority for how long? For one hour as kings with the beast. Okay, these are the political nations of the world that will rule together with the Roman church state. These are of how many minds? Of one mind. This is speaking of this new world order, this one world order. And they will give their power and authority to who? To the beast. Notice what we continue to read. These will make war with the Lamb and the Lamb will overcome them for He is Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And I love this last part. And those who are with Him are called chosen and faithful. So who will win at the end of the day? It will be Jesus Christ, the Lamb. And those who are with Him, those who are called chosen and faithful. Notice what else we continue to read. In Revelation verses 18, verses 9 and 10, this speaking of the demise of Babylon. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning standing at a distance for fear of her torment saying, Alas, alas, that great city what? Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has what? Come. It's interesting that the kings of the world reign together with this political religious system for how long? For one hour and their demise comes in what? In one hour. So what is taking place here? God is describing at the very end of time, there will be a short window where the enemy will seek 
to gain worship, to gain allegiance through the political and the religious coming together and forming this one new world order that will seek at its very heart to provide peace and security and stability for the entire planet. It's interesting, the Apostle Paul spoke of this. I don't have the scripture up on the screen for you. It's just come to me now with the Apostle Paul. I think it is in in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 3. He says, for when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them like labor pains upon a pregnant woman and they shall what? Not escape. They shall not escape. So the Apostle Paul is describing what we have just read here in the book of Revelation. Can you see that? Yes or no? It's absolutely crystal clear. One more scripture. Notice the ultimate demise of Babylon. Revelation chapter 18, verse 21. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence, the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be what? Found anymore. So Babylon, this system that ultimately, this system that that, that the Bible defines as, as opposition to God, that defines as, as confusion, this system that speaks of rebellion and persecution and unfaithfulness and everything that we have looked at together, that will ultimately be destroyed. And who is at the very heart of Babylon? Who is the king that sits at the very heart of Babylon? It's the devil and Satan himself. And the Bible says he will be no more. He will be no more. So God's truth will triumph. God's truth will triumph. And if you and I are on the side of God, if you and I are on the side of His Word and His truth, we too will triumph with the Lamb. That is why this message is so important. That is why this is God's final message of love to the world. Because the truth is, if you and I remain in Babylon, if you and I remain in this system, of lies in this system of opposition to God and His truth and His word and His love, we will be destroyed with Babylon. That is why God says, come out of her, my people. God is calling out His people. And Babylon is worldwide. Babylon has infiltrated all of the world religions, as we'll discover in just a moment. Notice what we continue To discover, end time Babylon offers the nations her intoxicating abominations. Now, the question is, well, before we get to the question, notice what we read in Revelation chapter 17, verse 4. It says, The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of what? Abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. Now, abominations in Scripture, that word abominations or, or, or abomination appears over and over again in Scripture, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Now, in a nutshell, an abomination is something that, as the word suggests, is reprehensible to God, something that God detests, something that God hates, because it goes directly against the character of God. That is what an abomination is. An abomination goes against the very character of God. Anything that goes against the character of God is an abomination. So let's take a look at some of these abominations. Well, where are we here? I think yeah, here they are. End time, Babylon's abominations and deceptions. These are some that we've looked at, some we haven't had an opportunity. Tradition instead of truth, we've looked at that. Sunday instead of Saturday, we've looked at that. The immortality of the soul, 
The Bible doesn't teach that. Eternal hellfire, the Bible doesn't teach that either. Infant baptism, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Pope as God on earth, certainly the Bible doesn't teach that. The priest and forgiveness, the Bible doesn't teach that. Image worship, part of Babylon. And the union of church and state. This is just a small selection, just a small selection of the abominations that are in this cup that the woman has that she has passed on to the entire world. And as we take a look at this list, we discover that today the religions of this world, whether they be Muslim, Buddhist, Hinduism, Paganism, New Age, you name the religion, Babylon has infiltrated that religion to a lesser or a larger degree. You can go and check that out for yourself as you take a look at what these different religions or Christian denominations teach. End time Babylon. So how can I know if I am currently in Babylon? Is that an important question? Absolutely. Because if you're in Babylon, what do you need to do? You need to get out. (laughs) You need to get out because if you remain in Babylon, what will take place? you'll be destroyed with Babylon. Isn't that right? That's right? So God is saying, get out, get out. This is earth's final warning. This is God's final message yeah. of love. His final appeal to the inhabitants of the world. And as we discovered earlier, that message comes from where? It comes from heaven. And the message is come out of her, my people. And Jesus said, my people hear my voice. My sheep hear my voice. They know me and they follow me. So this message, I believe, is coming from the lips of Jesus himself. Now, how can I know if I'm currently in Babylon? You need to ask yourself this question. Does my church or faith community, whatever that may be, that I belong to teach one or more of the false teachings of the Church of Rome? That is it. That's the only question you need to ask. Does my church or my faith community teach one or more of the teachings of Rome. And if the answer is yes, you are now in a system, you are now in a church, you are now in a faith community that has been infiltrated by Babylon and God says what? Come out. Notice what we read. Reminded of those words in Revelation 18 verse 4. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her what? My people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her what? Plagues. Those who remain in Babylon will sadly partake of the seven last plagues. That's what the Bible teaches very, very clearly. Jesus today is inviting us to come out of Babylon. And you know what? The truth is Babylon has infiltrated not just religious systems. The truth is Babylon has infiltrated our way of life in every sphere of our life. It's one thing to come out of Babylon. It's another thing to allow God to take Babylon out of our hearts. Babylon can be in our hearts and it can be so imperceptive that only by the word of God and only through the Holy Spirit's conviction can we truly know whether there are Babylonian principles in our hearts and in our lives. How do I treat my wife? How do I treat my children? How do I treat my neighbor? Is it in a loving, godly way or is it in a Babylonian way? 
How do I deal with my finances? How do I tell the truth always? Or sometimes is it more convenient to tell, you know, a little half lie? Babylon, it's more than just a religious system. It's at the very heart of who we are also. Before God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, he invited Lot and his family to come out of Sodom and Gomorrah. In the end, before God destroys this world, he will invite his people to come out of Babylon. I want to finish off with a couple of scriptures in John chapter 10 and verse 27, where Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they do what? They follow me. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. They hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. How will you and I hear the voice of Jesus? You and I hear the voice of Jesus through his word. Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Set you free from what? Set you free from the enemy's deceptions. Isn't that right? We hear the voice of Jesus in his word. You and I must base our faith on God's word and God's word alone. There is only one way to remain undeceived. Only one way to remain undeceived. And that is to spend time in the word of Jesus. There is no plan B. There is no plan B. If we will spend more time on Facebook, then having our faces in God's book, we're in a bit of trouble. If we're spending more time with Hollywood rather than in the Holy Word, we're in a lot of trouble. Are you hearing me? You and I are living at the most serious time in Earth's history. The time in Earth's history has never been more serious. The devil knows he has a short time. He is filled with wrath, the Bible tells us, and he goes out to deceive as many as are not spending time in the Word of God. That is why you and I, my dear friends, my dear listeners, my dear viewers, wherever you may be, can I encourage you to spend more time in God's Word each and every day? The closer we come to the coming of Jesus, the more time we need to spend in His Word. For man does not live by bread alone. Man does not live by the work that he does, by the education that he has, by the social activities, by the hobbies that he has. Man lives by what? By every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You and I, my friends, must know the word of God. If you do not know the word of God, if you're not spending time in the word of God, you are a sitting duck for the enemy. And the enemy knocks off sitting ducks with ease, with great ease. God is inviting you and I to come out of Babylon and to spend time in his word, his holy word, his precious word. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice from my word and they know me and they follow me. Jesus says in John chapter 10, Today, Jesus is inviting you and I to follow him. Jesus is inviting you and I to give our hearts and our lives to him. That is the final invitation that we have. Jesus says, come out of her, my people. The truth is, Babylon will be destroyed. 
That's what we find in Revelation chapter 18. And in Revelation chapter 19, the very next event is the second coming of Jesus. The second coming of Jesus. That's what follows the demise of Babylon, where the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, establishes His kingdom, His everlasting kingdom that will last and remain forever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. I want to be part of God's everlasting kingdom of love, where there'll be only truth, where there'll only be love, where there'll only be genuine respect and where there will only truly be peace. Babylon, no human system will ever provide the peace for this world that this, peace, that this world so desperately desires, that you and I so desperately desire. The only one that will truly provide peace is Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. That is my invitation to you to invite the Prince of Peace into your heart and into your life, to invite God's Word into your heart and into your life, to spend more and more time with it each and every day. Time for us to pray and thank God for His precious Word once again. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we want to thank you so much for your precious word. We want to thank you so much that you not only share your wonderful truth in the first angel's message of Revelation chapter 14, but you also expose Satan's lies in the second angel's message that we have studied together. And I thank you, Father, that in the third angel's message, you have given us a choice. And it is my prayer that those who are here, that those who are watching, wherever they may be watching or listening from, that each one will make a decision today, right now, to follow the Lamb wherever He goes, to to heed the voice of the Good Shepherd and to come out of spiritual confusion, to come out of the confusion of this world that only leads to destruction. We thank You, Lord, you're, You're establishing a new kingdom where there'll only be love, peace and joy forevermore for the inhabitants that will be there. And we thank you and pray for this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen and Amen. Listening to Focus on God's Word with Pastor Danny Milenkov, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. If you have any comments or questions, send an email to radio at 3ABN Australia.org.au.